Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Micah. This is going to at least be a two-part series, and I, I prefaced this a little bit last week as we um, had done the uh, series of messages on answering the questions of Malachi. Uh, there's some questions in Micah that I think would benefit us to focus on as well. Uh, and we just, to use a, a text, let's use Micah 1.1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morishite in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we consider this book, as we consider the questions posed here by your prophet, we ask, Father, for clarity, uh, for application, for your presence, Lord. We plead for your mercy through the blood of your Son. Lord, we need him every hour, every moment. May our words be salted. May our thoughts be cleansed. May we be led to repentance, Father, that no other idols be found in our presence. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the names of the kings that we see here in Micah 1.1, uh, they illustrate the time... Threw the phone out of my pocket and the watch got me. They illustrate the time in which the prophet uh, would have been working, for, for lack of better terms here. And, and we can compare this to Isaiah 1.1, which said, The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Uh, just a small lesson in discernment and understanding the times of the Scripture. Um, and, and, and this might sound like a foolish thing to point out, but to me, growing up Catholic, it makes a lot of sense for somebody to tell me the Old Testament books are not necessarily in chronological order. That's a good thing to know. Uh, there are some that are, but they aren't all uh, recorded and placed in the Bible in, in chronological order. Uh, so it's good for us to see that this does line up timing-wise with Isaiah. It's not difficult to imagine these two men ministering in Judah, encouraging each other and seeking to spread the word of the Lord. Of these rulers, Jotham and Hezekiah were generally considered to be good kings who helped the nation. But Ahaz was a wicked man who sold the nation into idolatry. This little book, Micah, composed basically of three sermons. Three sermons that Micah preached to the people, and each message begins with the word "hear." So as you uh, as you go through and study ahead, and I encourage you to do so, uh, you can identify these messages, uh, the breakdowns of, of this particular book, when you see him call for the people to hear it. He deals with very, three very practical and important themes that are profitable and, and preached from our pulpit quite often today. And I'm just giving you the breakdown of the book. These aren't my points, uh, but essentially they are his. Chapters 1 and 2 are broken down into uh, focusing on the judgment that is coming for the people. Chapters 3 through 5 uh, are, are really framing up the, the idea that the deliverer is coming. And chapter 6 and 7 as an encouragement to trust the Lord today. Uh, keep those things in mind as we go through, but we're going to be breaking it down on the questions uh, rather than on these three points. Uh, as we did our study through Malachi, those are the questions that uh, are really going to give us the purpose for this study. Uh, I want to, to tie these questions in with the theme of those sermons. So my first point is questions concerning the coming judgment. And as you look down, and we're going to read chapter 1, but right away in verse 5 we see the first question. So let's go ahead and just read chapter 1. The word of the, uh, of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morristite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. 
Hear all ye people, there's the beginning of the sermon, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. I'd like to start my sermons with that verse, I think, from now on. Uh, that's just the interjection uh, of the flesh, but that, that what a way to start a sermon. Verse 3, For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And then it gets uncomfortable real quick. And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the, sin, the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Here's our first set of questions. Is, not, uh, is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria as an heap of the field, and as plantings of a vineyard. And I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned with the fire, and all the idols thereof will I lay desolate. For she gathered it of the hire of an harlot, and they shall return to the hire of an harlot. Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. For her wound is incurable, for it is come unto Judah. He is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Declare ye it not at Gath, weep ye not at all in the house of Ephra. Roll thyself in the dust." Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Saphir, or Saphir, having thy shame naked. The inhabitant of Zanan came not forth in the morning of Bethazel. He shall receive you as his standing. He shall receive you his standing. Verse 12, For the inhabitant of Meroth waited carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord under the gate of Jerusalem. O thou inhabitant of Lachish, Bind the chariot to the swift beast. She is the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For the transgressions of Israel were found in thee. Therefore shalt thou give presents to Morishgath. Uh, the houses of Exib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Verse 15, Yet will I bring an heir unto thee, O inhabitant of Marishah. He shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. Make thee bald and pull thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy baldness as the eagle, for they are gone into the captivity from thee. So in verse 5 of this chapter, we see the questions already. What is the transgression of Jacob? And this lines up well Wednesday night as we're starting to see Jacob on his own. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Laid out in this uh, series of questions is the very reason for the coming judgment. And it begins mainly with idolatry. We see in verse 7, it's addressed by the prophet. All the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned with the fire, and all the idols thereof will I lay desolate. For she gathered it of the, of the hire of an harlot, and they shall return to the hire of an harlot. So much like Malachi preached when we studied the burden of the Lord that was given unto him, we can hear the people seemingly form a rebuttal of wherein? Wherein have we transgressed? Wherein have we had idols? Wherein have we strayed? And Micah doesn't hesitate to geographically tell them exactly where. 
He names capital cities in verse 15, Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judah, the southern kingdom, Samaria, the capital of Israel, the northern kingdom. In fact, this first message, Micah names 12 cities, and he points out each one of their sins. The sins of the cities were polluting the whole nation. A little leaven leaveneth a whole lump. And as we have seen in our Genesis studies, the beginnings of a sinful flame will soon engulf the entire house, if not removed, if not addressed, if not repented of. Where the man was uh, willing to question wherein, God is able to point directly to wherein. He's able to reveal unto us that which needs to be removed. What were some of the sins that God would judge? We see here a uh, reference to the high places. We see idolatry. The people insisted on worshiping the works of their own hands. We see this, and we'll see this referenced in chapter 5, verse 13. So we have to ask, do we do this yet today? Do we have idolatry in our own lives? Do we worship the work of our own hands? Let me ask you a question that you're probably more willing to give me an answer to. And warning, it's a trap. Who's the best NFL quarterback to ever play the game? We very much worship the work of our own hands, do we not? There are more people who can name the quarterbacks, probably all 32 of them, if pressed, before they could name the last 12 presidents. Before they could name in order the first 12 books of the Bible. Now, most know Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and so on and so forth, but the first 12 books of the Old Testament, in order. See, it's not a great feat for us to know what man can do. We're not going to be judged based on what man can do. We're not delivered from judgment based on what man can do. Do we have idolatry in high places? Do we worship the work of our own hands? This is of great pressing concern for the hour that we are now in. Because he's coming. Swiftly, he is coming. And we will answer for those things that are on our hearts. What will he do with such graven images? He'll beat them to pieces. What will he do with such false teachers? He has no use for them. They'll be ushered back to the, har the harlot, later to be judged and cast into the burning fire. What do you give credence to? What rules your heart? We may not all carve out statues and bow before them, but we certainly live for the things we have manufactured. We live... Many of us have jobs that work us on days of service to the Lord so that we can have cars, clothes, houses, money. Don't say before the Lord that you don't have idols. What is your Christian exchange rate like we talked last Sunday? What is it that you will give up this day for? This day in which we have to be in the house of the Lord, to be fed spiritually, and here we're blessed to also be fed physically by the Lord's people. What will you give this up for? That's an idol. Oh, preacher, you don't understand my lifestyle. No, I have debt. I very much understand your lifestyle. But the Lord's brought me to a place where, thankfully, I won't take a job that works me on his day. Oh, preacher, that, that's just easy for you to say. Is it? Is it easy for any to say in this day and age? Our wages are controlled. We, we said this a couple months ago. We live in a society that has now dictated that both mom and dad have to work. And to dictate that, wages are controlled. They're kept where they're kept and kept there for a reason. And when mom and dad both have to work for all the things that we just mentioned, and sacrifices have to be made, 
We don't make them at God's altar. We make God the sacrifice. Again and again and again, we say, you must perish that we may live. We're not looking to live everlastingly. We're looking to live comfortably while the day is still today. Shame on us. That's not what we're called to do. What do you sacrifice for church time, for Bible study time? Like it or not, you're telling God most clearly that which, was, that which has your heart, that which controls your desires. There's a great many things that we can do without, is there not? A great many things that we have suffered for the sake of entertainment, for the sake of pleasure, for the sake of comfort, and we know we don't need it. And we know that it is a distraction unto us. Micah writes over there in chapter 2, we'll read the first three verses, how the Lord really feels about it. And I'm going to tell you, every time a, vo a verse starts with woe to, it's trouble. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil from which ye shall not remove your necks. Neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil. Let's go ahead and finish reading chapter 2 while we're here. In that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say, We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. Therefore thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. Prophesy ye not, say, uh, say they to them that prophesy, they shall not prophesy to them, that they shall not take shame. O thou art named the house of Jacob, uh, though that, let me start again, verse 7. O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? These are our next series of questions we'll get to in a minute. Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even of late my people uh, is risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. The women of my people have ye cast out from their peasant home, pleasant houses. From their children have ye taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. You could almost hear those words uh, as if they were delivered to Lot as he sat in the gate. Verse 11, if a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Basra. As the flock in the midst of their fold, they shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and are gone out, by, uh, gone out by it, and their king shall pass before them, and the Lord on the head of them. Here we have the conclusion of this message that Micah is preaching on the coming judgment. Here we see the sin of covetousness now revealed. 
people would lie awake at night thinking of new ways to get things, new ways to have possessions, new schemes, if you will, to get what they want. And they get up early, like Abraham did. Oh, that's a valiant thing. But they get up early to carry out their schemes, not to please the Lord, not to serve their master, but to carry out their plans. So I take it back. They are seeking to serve their master, which is themselves, which is progress, which is success according to the world. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and uh, 6 and 7 Paul says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, there it is again, second time today, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Crushing the graven image, making orphans of these false idols. This is the God we serve. He is greater than these things. Many people today have an uh, insatiable appetite to get more things. When the next iPhone come out, I might ask. And there'll be somebody in the room that knows. When does the next Tesla come out? When does the next this come out and that come out? And there'll be somebody who's drooling with anticipation that they might have it. Do we drool with anticipation at the opportunity to give the gospel? To see a lost soul saved? Are we so caught up in anticipation? Shamingly not. Are we eager for the next opportunity to worship God? Are we excited at all for Wednesday when two of the Lord's preachers are coming? One we didn't even plan on? That we might be fed? There's two ways to look at this. I guess three. It's a Wednesday night. I don't go to Wednesday nights. That's one way. The second way is I'd rather hear our pastor speak. And the third way is the Lord surely has a blessing for us. The Lord surely has a blessing for us to bring them in. What might be here waiting for us this Wednesday night? Visitors from Caldwell. Some of y'all might know them. I don't. I'm excited to meet them. I'm excited to have a time of fellowship in the middle of the week that we might see just how much more God loves us than we even give credit for. Then we might even understand that he would provide such a provision for us. But we have an insatiable appetite for things. And when we have those things or a desire to get those things or in hot pursuit of those things, we also have an insatiable appetite for idols. Much like the Athenians, we've created little gods for every little thing. Uh, the, the bunny rabbit god is about to come out. The cupid god is already in stores. Those are just two of the obvious ones. But there's the god of the Super Bowl. There's the god of the Super Bowl commercials. There's the god of the Pro Bowl. Uh, quickly is coming the god of the Manning family and what they'll get to do next, which I like the Mannings, but I don't worship the Mannings. There's the god of the, of the mouse, Disney, which is about to buy, apparently, WWE, and that falls under the umbrella they already owned, ESPN. The God of Hollywood, they just had their, what, 70th or 80th annual award show just the other day. That's to our shame. That's to our shame that uh, a grown man gets up and smacks another man in the face, and we still just have another award show and another award show. 
It's to our shame that a grown man dies on the football field. And there's even question over whether we should finish the game, but less than 48 hours later, another one begins. We don't learn from our ways. We don't attend to God. How many of these idols are in our homes? Now, there's the obvious ones that if the pastor were to come over, you might re remove your cross from the wall, uh, and you might remove all the alcohol if there is any. But what other things ought to come off your walls and stay off your walls? What other things ought to come out of your lives, out of my life, ought to be burnt at the altar? Not because it's a suitable sin offering, but because it's got to go. The Lord's Supper is coming. It's already on the bulletin calendar. It's coming before our meeting. Will ye attempt to take the Lord's Supper with such things in your lives? Will I? Luke 12, 15, And Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. But you'd sure think it did the way we live. We even have great concern over third world countries because they don't have as many things as we do. Let that sink in a minute. We have pity on other nations because they don't have as many things as we do. How could they be successful without more things? The people were not only covetous, but they used illegal means to get what they wanted. We see this in chapter 2, verse 2. Fraudulence is mentioned. Threatenings is mentioned. Violence is mentioned. We do too. If we recall what a neighbor is and how we are to love them, then our, have, uh, then our rich abundance of things uh, being a focus rather than seeing to our neighbor's need or even our church's need is indeed sinful and thus illegal inside of the commandment of God. It's unfaithful to God for us to continue striving to have more and more and more things and not striving to see the Lord's word reach the nations, not striving to see what more we might be able to do for God, what more we might need to do for God. Mark 12, 31, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. None other commandment greater than your outward show and your outward action of love toward your neighbor. The rulers did not obey the law of God. There was not a fear of God in these proclaimers. It seems that there's very little fear of him in our pulpits even today. Everyone's caught up with what the next trend is, what the next risk is. How will some enter the circle? How will some leave the circle? How about when will the word of God be proclaimed? And when will the people go unto all nations, discipling and teaching the truths that Christ taught? I wonder if he set in on some of these Bible conferences that I've been to in the past year, if he would get up and leave. I read an article that Milburn printed years ago about why he doesn't attend Bible conferences. And it shook me. Now, it introduced to me again the idea of my own immaturity that I had just now gotten to where he already was. But we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. 
We ought to be ashamed of ourselves that we had identified movements in a cocky and arrogant way rather than crying and repenting and pleading that the Lord would intervene. We're quick to cast off Apollos, but how quick are we to perfect his understanding? How did Micah respond to this awful message of judgment that he was given of God? You see it in verses 8 and 9. This is Micah speaking. Therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls, for her wound is incurable. For it is come unto Judah. He is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. He wept. He mourned. This should sound familiar. Nehemiah did too. When we went through the study uh, of talking about him being the cupbearer, he wept and he mourned. But today's Baptist rears up, gets agitated, takes to the blogosphere, makes sure social media knows who's right, who's wrong. God attend to the following rather than tend to the flock. Micah sent a personal message to these cities warning them that the day of God's wrath was just around the corner. Beloved, the day of God's wrath for the things that we have done, the things our communities have done, and the things we haven't done is just around the corner. And who you follow and who you agree with won't spare you of it. It's who you believe in. It's who you're a disciple of. You know what a disciple is? One who follows. This term disciple describes someone actually actively following. Not one who's got the membership card and knows the right words and the creeds to follow, but one who is actually pursuing Christ. How did the people react to Micah's preaching? It is the people there in chapter 2, verse 6 that say, Prophesy ye not! Say they to them that prophesy. They shall, they, they shall not prophesy to them that they shall not make that they shall not take to shame. They're saying, Stop preaching such terrible things. You know they will not happen to us. We are all God's people. The, the preaching that Mike is addressing here is the feel-good preaching, what we would refer to as the prosperity preaching. We're God's people. No harm shall come unto us. Keep on keeping on. You're doing just great. God is not a God of wrath. Ye shall not surely die. But Micah says, I must preach. The Spirit of God compels me. And it is here that we see the next set of questions to consider. And I pointed it out as we were reading through uh, chapter 2, verse 7. O oh, thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? The people cry out, stop preaching. Stop prophesying. Stop stepping on my toes. Stop hurting my feelings. Stop coming at me, bro. You know, 2023 it up. Stop getting in my face with all this ugliness. 
Is that not what the America today says too? Stop talking to us about truth. Stop telling us these dangers of, uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah and days of old. Don't tell us that the Ninevites repented. We won't. They seek to silence the churches. Why? Because they don't want to hear that truth. They don't want to know what they're doing is bad. They don't want to admit to it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to recognize it. And I'm sad to say some Baptists are doing the same. And maybe that's us. We don't want to hear those things. Don't print those things in the banner. Don't preach on those things. Don't air these things out on the internet. There will be a preacher of righteousness until the Lord comes. And if we're not in the final days, like the, the actual final hours, then it's very likely there may be just one or two preachers left that preach the truth of God's word. How many have come through those doors? I know these two have and said people don't preach like that anymore. And I don't say that to my praise. I, this isn't a craft that I studied to master. I preach what the Lord's given me. And sadly, I have to preach it to myself before it gets to y'all. It's a hard thing to recognize the sin in our lives. But when you do, you need to repent. When you do, you need to come away from these things. And you need to forgive, forgive as the Lord has forgiven. And these are all hard truths. And they're the things that we all wrestle with. But Micah points out here, Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? He says, you don't want to hear these things. You hate these things. But are my words not profitable to them that walk uprightly? Are my words not profitable to God's real people? Those called to follow and be weirdos, to be zealous over good works? Is the preaching of God not a blessing to his people? Surely it's not pleasurable to the flesh, but the flesh is to be mortified, not preserved. The, the preservation that we just talked about in Sunday school is not for your flesh. That's that feel-good preaching, that prosperity preaching. That preserves or attempts to preserve the flesh. But God made no such promises. He says, crucify the flesh, mortify the flesh, die unto yourself, leave that behind. That's nonsense. That'll do you no good. That fell with Adam. Be done with these things and come after me, Christ said. It is the soul, after all, that has victory in Christ Jesus, not the flesh. You might have a life with good dimples, perfect teeth. If it do you no good, that should be born again. Romans 8.13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. I don't, I don't read that verse to you as if it's something easy to understand or to practice. If through the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Preacher, doesn't that pit me against myself? Uh-huh. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. You are very much experiencing, if you're squirming under this message like I am, you are experiencing a great spiritual battle as the old man does not want the new man he does not want to die he does not want to be put off 
But the new man is more than conqueror. The new man is victorious if indeed you are saved. You will continue to squirm while the old man's there because he's at odds with this light. He prefers the darkness. And if you're here and you're lost and you're squirming under this and you're wrestling with this, and uh, not because you don't think that it's true, but because it makes you uncomfortable, rest assured you're not the first. Everyone who's been saved. Think of David and the story, stories that we know of David. There's the young David that took on Goliath. And this young David knew that Goliath had no chance, right? Goliath had no chance. And we would say today, well, physically, he's bigger. And physically, his shield's greater. And physically, his sword is tremendous. And physically, he's loud, and he's boisterous, and he's taunting. We like to say today that he's getting in the head of the enemy. But all David had his eyes on was that this man was against God, and he stood no chance. In David's mind, it would either be the sling and these smooth stones or some other means, but God would be victorious. And as you're following after God, you got to get to that point where this meager little sling and this weak little arm and just a handful of stones is more than enough for God to use to take down the giants of the land because it's driven by faith. And if not these things, then God could have the earth open up and swallow them like Korah. God could have any number of things used at his disposal to bring about the victory. But when we're toiling on the sidelines, not where we should be, then we see the older David, who's got time to gaze across at a bathing young woman. And he's got time to hatch a plan to make her his own. And he's got time to hatch a plan to get rid of the husband. Or first, to deceive the husband, to convince him that uh, the child is his own. But then to get rid of the husband. But God's got a Nathan. God's got a way of revealing sin. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're feeling pretty good. Your sins have yet to be discovered. Preacher doesn't know what you're up to, so he's not going to preach at you. But then the Lord could just send somebody to your house tonight and say, you're the man. You're the man. Tell you some story of deceit and wickedness. Bring you to the edge of yourself where you feel ready to cast judgment on another and then say, you're the man. You're the man. The preacher wasn't talking about somebody else. He didn't know it. The preacher didn't but he was talking to you. The Lord wasn't addressing some other lost person in the room. He was addressing you. You're the man. You're the woman. And these deeds that you just uh, admitted to be despicable, they were your own. These things that you felt the need uh, for that one to do, to, to uncover these things and admit to these things and make these things right, they're your things. This uh, description of those who desire things over God, it's you. I don't come up here and internet preach. I'm not talking to someone else. And, and Derek and Clark could tell you there's no way for me to know any given Sunday who's listening. But this message isn't for them particularly. 
Could be for me. I feel that it is. Could be for you. Why is God having us ask so many questions? Could be something we need to dig up and uncover and repent of so that we can pursue after him. But he loves you too much to let you go. He loves you way too much to just stop asking these questions. He loves you way too much to stop sending prophets, to stop sending messages, to stop pointing out the dangers of idols and things. When we choose what feels good over repentance, we have elected to live in full rebellion of the one who proclaimed to, that we have proclaimed to call Lord, Lord. Think of what the Lord says when he makes reference that there will be those that say they have done this in my name and that in my name, and I never knew them. It's because though we call him Lord, Lord, if our heart's not with him, he's not our Lord, Lord. If our heart is not his, then he's not our Lord. He may be a Lord. He may be a great and, and wondrous man, a great teacher, as some have proclaimed, but he's not your deliverer. While it is today, it is still convenient in many circles to call on him by name. You can still say Jesus in public and not have stones thrown at you. But you say Jesus in public now, people do notice. Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. But there was a time in my own lifetime where hearing the Lord's name in public wasn't a shameful thing. Those days are coming. And maybe I'm naive and they're already here. Soon the devil will have his way in convincing the world that to be a Christian is a shameful thing. Will you then stand? Stand today while the standing is easy. But will you stand tomorrow? We read in Revelation of the Antichrist and the beast and these things that are at hand, these things that are coming. And really, uh, the stage truly is set. Power has just changed in the United Kingdom. Power's out of control here in the USA. There's a, a war that's quite honestly taken longer than it should in Ukraine. What's happening? Have you ever thought about that? What's happening? How are these things possible? Is man truly have that much control over his own fate that we are in control of these things that do you really believe that for example a joe biden or even a donald trump is the architect behind all these things because it really feels more to me like the uh that we're coming to the conclusion of a plan that's taken thousands of years to accomplish as though something, someone arrogantly stood up and said, I will, to the great I am. And we're nearing the end of his goal. And we know he'll lose. But the things that have come to pass and are still coming to pass, they took a long time to get here. Where are you here today? Are you just here because somebody drug you here? Are you just here because you've got nowhere else to go? Or are you beginning to analyze your life side by side with the Word of God? Do you find yourself in it? 
Or do you find yourself without hope? Spiraling out of control with no assurity for what tomorrow has for you. That's a good thing. If you're there, that's a good thing. Because you have to come to the end of yourself before you're going to really know the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to come to a point in your life where you have absolutely no strength, absolutely no power, absolutely no more plans. When you really get to that point, you'll be ready to repent. You'll be made to believe. Be faithful unto him. The author of this work is also the finisher of this work. The end is coming so quickly. (coughs) So quickly. We're no longer to a point where we can say, I can't imagine this happening or, or, or that happening as it's proclaimed in Revelation. And now we're to a point in history where there's a multitude of ways in which it could happen. Where does this find you? Are you bothered at all that we might not have a Wednesday? This great Wednesday that we're talking about and making plans for. Uh, and we should be careful to say if the Lord wills. Because we may not have this Wednesday. You may not have another sermon for which the gospel's preached. Another funeral for which tears are shed for one who's put in the ground and on their way home to their Lord and Master. In which the preacher can say, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful. How does one get to the point of being good and faithful? I can tell you from the funerals in the last couple of years, they got to be broken a few times. They have to be physically broken so that they know they can't rely on themselves. Mentally broken so that they know they can't just rely on their own thoughts and mental processes. They have to be financially broken because they've created an idol. Physically broken because they trusted in their own strength. Relationship broken because they've trusted in someone else. They have to come to the end of themselves. I pray these questions are not lost on you. I pray that you're truly asking these things of yourself. Wherein? Wherein have I done these things? Wherein have I worshipped these idols? Wherein have I become obsessed with things? Wherein have I desired feel-good sermons that make me feel that I have arrived? There's only one place I want to arrive. Only one place I'm looking to go. I'll preach where the Lord sends me. But there's only one place that's truly home for the saints of God. Abraham realized that. In our study through Genesis, he tabernacled, he tented entire time there was only one home for him John the Baptist a roamer a grasshopper eaten uh, crazy man according to the people but he preached a great many woes preached to quite a few vipers and there was only one place that was going to be home for him do you now believe do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only great deliverer and savior of God's people. There's not another heaven. There's not another God. And there's only one way. I pray that this finds you heartbroken. 
even if you've been saved a long time, I pray this finds you heartbroken because we have work to do. We have a gospel essentially sitting in our pockets and we don't exercise. What good is this shiny, sharpened sword that remains sheathed, pressed against the armor? It's powerful. It divides right to the bone. Are we equipped to wield it? Are we strong enough to pull it from its sheath? Faithful enough to put it to use? David was faithful enough to throw those rocks. Think of those words. You stand before God, this little kid says. This little man says, you stand before God. You do not have a chance, dog. The only thing that keeps us from being faithful is us.